0: The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David and your host. Today's guest is Douglas Block, an author, teacher, and counselor here in Portland, Oregon. He received his BA in psychology from NYU and his MA in counseling at the University of Oregon. He's the author of 10 books, and he's here today on Health Watch to talk about his book, Healing from Depression, 12 Weeks to a Better Mood, a Body, Mind, Spirit Recovery Program. Welcome to Health Watch, Douglas Block. Thank you. So, why don 't we start out with a, a definition of depression how How is it different than sadness or grief or or melancholy?
1: Well, everybody goes through sadness, grief, and melancholy depending on the situations of their lives. But depression is sadness, grief, or melancholy that persists over a much longer time than should be expected and then it has other um, symptoms uh, besides that, like uh, not eating. Difficulty sleeping, uh, suicidal thinking, you know, low self-esteem. There's a list of nine of them in the, uh, the dsm 4 I guess it's the dsm 5 now, the Mental Health uh, Diagnostic Manual. And unfortunately, you can't get a blood test or a brain biopsy to see if you're depressed. Uh, you have to go to a mental health professional, talk about your subjective experience, how you're feeling, how you're behaving, how you're thinking. And from that description, someone will be able to, to make a correct diagnosis. And, and, we also
0: obviously we don't at this point in in uh, in medical history have there's not a one to one correspondence with biology and depression. There are, are many potential causes or multifactorial right. causes that can lead um, to people to end up depressed, and and they may have very different pictures. Can you talk about some of the possible uh, causes of depression?
1: Right. And unfortunately, it's not like having a bacterial infection where you can isolate, you know, or AIDS. I guess where you know there's the HIV virus. If only that simple for depression um depression like a tree has many roots there's of course the genetic you know predisposition that everybody has if you are born into a family of depressives like i was my mother my father my grandmother my my uncle my cousin etc etc and then there's the environmental piece especially early childhood trauma especially uh abuse neglect things like that, sexual abuse, those are all setups. You know, Ron Kurtz, who founded Hakomi Therapy, a brilliant practitioner, once said that trauma changes the nervous system very profound, and especially when the trauma comes early on, it's almost like you were born with a genetic predisposition. Then, of course, there's sociological issues. You know, if you're, if you're growing up in, in poverty uh, or there's a lot of stress in your life, your environment isn't supporting you, then, there, of course, there's environmental toxins. Some people, you know, like I did, I took a antidepressant, and, and it put me over the edge. Here's something that was supposed to help me and it actually uh, put me into an agitated panic. So, uh, lack of sleep, poor nutrition. There's so many different causes.
0: And so it it, it would... Suggests that we need somebody who's going to be a sleuth, in a sense, who's going to look at the the whole picture and, and try to ferret out what is that, or what are the multiple issues for a given
1: person. Right. I mean, even when you identify the multiple causes, the issue is okay. Uh, what, what did What did Paul Simon say in that song? Breakdowns come and breakdowns go. You know, what do you do do about it? That's what I'd like to know. You know, that was a great song from his his album Graceland. I mean, okay, so we have all these causes. Okay, so I had was neglected by my mother and my my family you know, crazy, (laughs) and my girlfriend left, and I'm feeling really bad. Okay, what are we going to do about it? And that's why I wrote my book, because when I went through my fourth episode in 1996, which was the worst at the age of 47, uh, the... Antidepressants and medications at the time did not work for me. I was called treatment resistant, which about 20% of people who have depression are, and so I couldn't use the standard medical, you know, uh, therapeutics to get better. I had to find other ways. So I turned and, and went into my background, which I'd already studied natural healing, and did a lot of reading, and I came up with this what I call this body, mind, spirit recovery program. And what I tell people is, if you go ahead and do enough of these practices that I recommend in my book or in my website or you can read about elsewhere and you put them together, eventually something's going to click and you're going to start to feel better. As a matter of fact, there are three pillars I want to talk about really briefly. The first is setting the intention to heal. You have to make the decision that you want to get well, even if you don't know how. The second thing you need to do is reach out for support because people cannot heal in isolation. You need to have other people around you who are working with you. And the third thing is to use a combination of mutually supportive therapies to treat your symptoms. There is no magic bullet, as you said. Exercise, diet, nutrition, you know Cognitive therapy, having a purpose in life, spiritual practice—the things I write about in the book—you need to combine many of these things together to get a, you know, a holistic therapy that will work. And even then, you don't know when it's going to work or the timing. You just have to hang in there one day at a time, and it will work, but you just don't know when. So let's back up and 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 expand on a couple of these.
0: So, okay. what is the? What do you mean more in detail by setting the intention to
1: heal? Okay. So I was. Um, Riding with my cycling buddies uh, in on the Springwater corridor uh, a week ago, and we came uh, to uh, the part that went through Gresham, and there was a man who is lying on his f- face. Uh, couldn't really tell if he was injured, so we stopped. We looked, and sure enough, he was bloodied. And it turned out that, as I had suspected, he was, you know, uh, someone who suffered from alcoholism and had, you know, passed out, fallen down. We called 911, and the policeman came, and, oh, that's Frank, you know. So anyway, while we were waiting for the policeman to come, I said, he, he woke up and said, oh, thank you for stopping and helping me. I need I need some Christian fellowship. And I said, well— Interesting you should mention that because uh, one of my uh, young men I'm mentoring is staying at the Union Gospel Mission, and they're a recovery program, and they have Christian Fellowship, and I can give you the number. I can even basically help you get down there. And, and you know, this place, I've seen it turn around lives. It's a fantastic organization. By the way, it's you know, right down here in downtown Portland. And, and he said, yes, I need some Christian Fellowship. And, <laughs> and I said again when I want. He said, you know, it's, it's really not so bad what I'm going through. He did not have the intention to heal. He was not ready to change. He was not saying, I will do whatever it takes. You just tell me what to do, and I will do it. I will do whatever it takes to get better, because that is how much I thirst for recovery. Once you get to that point, whether it's addiction or depression, and you are ready then the universe starts to attract to you all sorts of things that will help you out. So the intention to heal means the clear decision that you want to get well and are willing to make the commitment to do whatever it takes, even if you need support in doing so.
0: And when you say one of the pillars is reaching for support, that that is uh, a challenging one, I would imagine, for a lot of depressed Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Because there's so much a tendency to want to self-isolate.
1: Right. And there's a lot of shame. You know, one of my friends who gets suicidal every now and then says, the world would be better off without me. Well, that, of course, is an irrational thought. I mean, one of the reasons I didn't kill myself when I was suicidal in this episode in 96, 97 is because I realized the effects it would have on people, you know, adverse effects. Because I've been a survivor of suicide from other people, and so to say the world would be better off without me, you know, that's an irrational thought, but people have that when they're depressed, they isolate, they don't want to bother people, and this, of course, is completely counterproductive, so one of the things you have to fight against if you're going through a depression is uh, not to isolate, but to go ahead and uh, pick up what in AA they say is that 10,000-pound phone and call somebody, or better yet, get into treatment. <laughs> Sure. And so if somebody doesn't
0: have an obvious family member or friend to reach out to, and, and perhaps they're going to reach out to a counselor, do you right. have any any thoughts about – there's so many different types of counseling, and some have been researched, some might have a more of an right. appealing uh, – Ideological perspective, but like, w- how how should someone know whether to go for a cognitive behavioral therapist versus a Gestalt therapist right. versus psychoanalysis, well, for instance?
1: Well, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT has been the one evidence-based practice you know that works on changing people's negative thinking because negative thinking can is what often causes negative feeling. Yeah. I myself run a support group here in Portland, yeah. and I find the kind of fellowship that people have when they meet with other people in the same situation is very similar to what happens in twelve-step or AA meetings meetings that's powerful but even if you go to a gestalt therapist and that's not a, you know a, an evidence-based way of you know dealing with depression research shows that it's the relationship you have with the therapist or the healer more than the particular ideology that they're practicing that is does the healing so human contact is healing in and of itself but i will say that cbt by going ahead and ch- for example um you know the world would be better off without me that's obvious, a, a fallacious thought, right? So uh, in, in cognitive behavioral therapy, they would challenge that and and replace it with a more realistic thought like, you know, there are people who care about me. You know, I, it would be a bummer if, you know, I took my own life and maybe that's not a good idea. So CBT is the one that most psychologists or therapists will use. But I think just being connected with a healer who has compassion and can really uh, connect with you is is going to make the difference. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health
0: Watch, and we're talking today with Douglas Block about his book, Healing from Depression, a Body, Mind, and Spirit Recovery Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number is 503-231-8187. Well, let's talk about some of the physical self-care. As as much as it might not seem in the moment like doing some of these physical activities could actually improve your mood, there's actually a lot of good research and, and certainly uh, a lot of uh, Benefit from doing uh, some of these seemingly mundane physical activities. Right, in the
1: nineteen ninety-seven, just when I was coming out of this episode, I turned on NPR radio, and it was. uh, a program on uh, hosted by Frank Gifford, who was a famous football player from the 50s, on uh, exercise and depression. And they took these people down at the Southwest Washington Medical Center, where, by the way, Ke- uh, Cooper, I think, yeah, Dr. Cooper, who did the, the aerobics revolution, same place. And they put these people, uh, these subjects, on a treadmill, 16 minutes a day. Uh, I think it was three miles an hour at like a 4% grade. Not very much considering what I've been up to lately, you know, climbing Rocky Butte on my bicycle, right? But 16 minutes a day for six weeks. And then they did a before and after survey. And the people said that it was amazing how much better they felt just from that regular 16-minute-a-day workout. Uh, By the way, it had to be enough to, to get them to break a sweat. One man said... The things that used to irritate me don't irritate me anymore. Another woman said, you know, I used to just sit around at home crying all day. Now I have my life back. So... Science has actually, basically, proven through these types of you know experiments or trials that physical exercise changes the brain as much as Prozac or Zoloft or any antidepressant from mild to moderate depression. It is equivalent to taking a drug. As a matter of fact, the guy, the head of the American Psychiatric Institute, in that in that program, said that psychiatrists should write on their prescription pad, you know, a hike up Angels Rest or you know, an hour at the gym, and and basically do that before they they prescribe drugs for someone who's depressed is moderate to mild in other words they're not completely disabled and you know sleeping in bed and not going to work or picking up the phone call they're they're feeling miserable they can barely get to work but at least they're functioning for those types of people this type of exercise program can start to really make a difference so that's the first thing i tell people
0: and, and the and speaking of antidepressants, it, I, I believe that antidepressants show their best benefit, at least in, in research studies, with major depression, which is not what most people suffer from when they're right. suffering from depression, the most severe forms right, of depression. Right, right,
1: yeah. I mean, major depression is when you have five out of these nine symptoms that are, in my, you know, I listened to the book or in the you know, in the, in the manual, and you're more or less disabled from life. You know, you, you can't you, you can't work, you withdraw from people, and you're basically just, you know, immobilized. Antidepressants have their best effect on those types of depressions. But, you know, they can be... They can be used for moderate depression, but I still think you should try these other things first. In terms of physical self-care, getting enough sleep is critical. Absolutely, without sleep, you know the brain basically can't regenerate itself. Then I mentioned diet and nutrition, the obvious things. There was a very famous book in the '90s called "Potatoes, Not Prozac," and basically, this person, uh, who herself was an alcoholic and a psychologist, worked with alco- uh, a series of alcoholics who also had depression. That's called dual disorder, and she basically had them cut out all the sugar and the sodas and eat uh, three regularly spaced meals a day, no more than five hours apart, with a fistful of protein, protein the size of a fist. It could be lean protein or vegetarian protein. And she found um, that very quickly their mood swings stopped, their energy stabilized, and as goes with the physical, so goes with the emotional and psychological. So, uh, you know, cleaning up your diet can be very helpful as well as the exercise. And I also mentioned uh, massage, uh, physical touch, and, of course, in this day and age, here we are entering November, right, natural light. I'm a huge believer in light boxes. I mean, a lot of people, including yours, truly suffer from seasonal affective disorder. And in the winter, it can be a real bummer when, you know, we go, here we are, November, what, 4th, and I came over here. It was cold and damp outside, right? Right. And my friend who's a tour guide just came back from uh, Washington, D.C., in Costa Rica and was complaining already on the first day that, you know, where's the sun?
0: And a lot of that research has been done here at o- OHSU. Yeah, it,
1: OHSU has been has been the epicenter of the research. Uh, Dr. Albert Lowry has been the person who's pioneered that this is a real physiological, you know, problem in winter months when people don't get enough light. So right then and there, these quote unquote natural methods can be very potent and And then, um, you also talk about the importance of daily hygiene,
0: which I would think would also you know getting into an exercise regimen starting to get into a regimen about when you eat and what you eat, but also actually around uh, daily cleanliness in a sense too.
1: Right. Well, you know, in in, in these ashrams, you know, these spiritual ashrams, they always have... Why do you think they're doing this in these spiritual, you know, getting up at the same time, you know, uh, doing your meditation, your exercise, you know, taking care of your physical body? Because the brain is housed, is a physical organ in a physical body. And obviously... I don't care how spiritual you are or how good an attitude you try to have. If your body is not working properly, uh, you're going to have a really difficult time working with your mood. So that, you know, there was a spiritual teacher named Gurjeef who said, once you deal with the physical, the mental and emotional will follow. Now, obviously, I have this five-part program in the book. I talk about physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, and lifestyle. So even as good as physical hygiene is, it's not enough alone. To, to, to you know have a complete treatment. You have to look at this holistically. So having a purpose and meaning in life is really, really important. I mean, if we can get up and think we have a reason to be here and have something to do, even if we're feeling crummy. And what did Nietzsche say? You know, if a, if a man has a why, he can bear any how. Very profound. So uh, Nietzsche also said, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, which means that oftentimes when you go through an episode and you come out the other side, you're actually a lot better off for it. But yeah, having a purpose and having some something rather than yourself to focus on, like a child or like, you know, an artistic project or just doing something that takes you out of yourself and and because depression is really about the prison of self because when we get depressed, we we become self-absorbed. You know, we're in pain. It's like having an emotional toothache and focusing on something outside of that through service or some sort of purpose is usually therapeutic.
0: Hmm. That's very interesting. And you also, on the mind level, you talk about cognitive restructuring. Is that what you were referring to earlier yeah, with yeah. Uh, the CBT? Work?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what was it? Uh, some Roman guy, Seneca, some, some Roman philosopher said, it's not really what happens to us, but it's our evaluation of what happens to us that matters. You know, I talked about the rain here in Oregon. Well, you know, I'm always bummed out by it, but there are people who like to ski and so when it's raining in the valley there's snow in the mountains. So rain to them means, oh, we're having a new snowpack. Well that's not so bad. So it's not the thing that happens in itself, it's your interpretation of it. So what CBT works on is is, you know, working with the thoughts around the event because they ultimately you know, determine the feeling. So if you say, yippee, it's raining, I'm going to go ski this weekend, you're feeling happy. But if you say, oh, my God, you know, it's raining and it's gray and I won't be able to you know, do my regular bicycling or do what I want planned, my picnic is ruined, then you're going to feel sad. So uh, there, are, there are a lot of irrational beliefs that people with depression have about themselves, about you know, how they view themselves. And by taking care of those uh, with this cognitive behavioral therapies, the mood can improve.
0: And then what about breathing? You, you speak about the importance of, of breathing techniques. Uh, you mentioned meditation and, right. and also prayer, but you also talk about, on a physical level, the importance of of proper breathing. Can you talk a little bit about well, it? Well,
1: that really comes out of the yoga tr- tradition. Uh, and, you know, I talk about diaphragmatic breathing because, hey, oxygen is the name of the game, right? I mean, that's why exercise works, because the brain needs two things. It needs oxygen and it needs glucose. And if you're not getting enough oxygen in your system, you know, uh, your brain and everything else is not going to function very well. So deep, especially for people who are anxious, you know, when you're anxious, you have shallow, rapid breathing. So deep breathing can often help to, you know, take an anxiety attack and really start to, you know, calm it down. So um, there's lots of – I think there's a book called The, um, the Art of Breathing. My publisher, Band of Books, did it. It's not by me, but it's uh, uh, it's still probably out there. There's really a lot of good books and information about how to breathe deeply and how to use breath. Because, you know, breath is prana in Sanskrit, which means life. So, yeah, I mean, not just for depression, but just for vital energy, breathing, proper breathing is essential. In healing for in healing from
0: depression, you have a section on self assessment, but you also have a section later on about when hospitalization is appropriate. So let's let's talk about the other side of things when maybe these techniques um, aren't enough right now. They need that the person listening today needs more. How how would they know that they that they should consider hospitalization?
1: Well, if a person is really, um, you know severely depressed first of all they should be in treatment and their psychiatrist or their psychologist should be doing that assessment with them but essentially um hospitalization should occur when two things are the ca- either of two things are the case one is you're a danger to yourself in other words you don't feel safe because when people get really depressed and when they get specifically really hopeless as i was they think well look to be in this type of pain, which is chronic, which is unrelenting, which is unremitting, and which will never change, this makes, you know, this is no way to live. So I'd rather just be out of here. Now, the problem with that type of thinking is that uh, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, because all things pass, even horrible, you know, clinical depression. But when you're in a space where you think that taking your own life or harming yourself is an option, that's one time to go to the emergency room or have your psychiatrist admit you to a hospital. The other... Um, issue is when your self-care becomes so poor... When you're not eating, like my mother, you know, she stopped eating. She lost 40 pounds in a month, you know, stopped hardly this drinking, was just sitting in bed all day staring at the walls. Clearly she was wasting away, and we had to get her, you know, committed uh, because she was not, you know, going to live a whole lot longer. This She was in her late 70s when this occurred. But the point is, is that when your self-care is so poor that you're not able to take care of yourself, you should be hospitalized. Now, fortunately, unfortunately... Uh, Because of changes to law, it's more difficult to hospitalize somebody now than it used to be. You have to be either homicidal or suicidal. So the second point I mentioned about someone not taking care of themselves Oftentimes, it's hard to get someone like that committed or hospitalized because it, that's not considered homicidal or suicidal. And there's been a big struggle about that in recent you know, decades to change some of those laws. But, yeah, essentially when you're not able to function or when you're thinking of harming yourself or others, that's when you should go into the, into the hospital.
0: And you also offer some advice in the book about if you happen to know someone who has suicidal thoughts, how to approach them and, and, and what to do. Right.
1: Well, there's a myth that says if you talk about suicidal thoughts with someone, they're more likely to do it. It's the opposite, you know. Giving them a, a way to vent or talk about how desperate they're feeling is actually protective, and you know, not to act surprised or shocked because you know we all go through these down periods. The other thing, obviously, is to remove all self harm instruments like guns or pills because oftentimes uh, suicide is attempted as an impulsive thing. If you feel like killing yourself but you don't have the means, you can't do it. And then, of course, if you really suspect that they're really in danger, then call up the emergency room and take them down yourself uh, but essentially, stay in touch and monitor that person who's suicidal because it's the isolation it's the you know it's it's the withdrawal that that makes the thoughts and feelings worse, so you just basically have to be on twenty four hour alert but talk about them talk about the feelings with them, assure them that it will get better make sure they're they're seeing a competent health professional uh remove uh, all potential you know self-weapons uh, or anything else that could harm them and also get them to the emergency room if necessary.
0: And, and, Douglas, you have a section in the book on natural medicines as possible, alternatives or even complementary to psychiatric medications. Right. And I know that's not the focus of your practice as a counselor, but are there any that come to mind that you've, you've well, seen you know, with your you, patients?
1: You've read about these things like 5-HTP, which is a, you know, a precursor. Actually, it's a metabolite, I think, uh, of... Uh, Oh, tryptophan, I think, which is which is the body uses to make serotonin, and then there's I think tyrosine, which the body uses to make norepinephrine. So some people think if you give people amino acids, which which are used, which are converted to neurotransmitters, it will help the brain. I, I myself haven't seen any evidence of that, but I don't have a practice dealing with that. Then there's of course kava, which is a, a relaxing um, root from Polynesia, which people some people say can um, you know uh treating anxiety and on, on the website i have a page called natural alternatives to prozac where i did, listed all my research this was like 12 years ago when i wrote the book and i can't really say you know what how they've borne up in research studies but i'm sure there's stuff on the internet people can look up or they can go to a naturopath who specializes in psychiatric care and there are some in portland and ask what they know but um Certainly, um, I believe that there are probably substances and herbs that can help with mood. I just am not the expert on them.
0: Sure. And you mentioned your website. So why don't you share with our listeners what your your website is and, and what they can find there? Right.
1: So the website is www.healingfromdepression.com. There's a couple of free newsletters on mood that I offer that you can sign up for. And all of the information in my book, Healing from Depression, is on the website for free. You can also order the book through the website or Amazon. And also on uh, this Friday night, what is it, November 8th from 7 to 8.30 at New Renaissance Bookstore in uh, northwest Portland, I'm going to be uh, giving a 90-minute presentation on my body-mind Spirit Recovery Program from 7 to 8.30. and The number there is 224-4929. That's New Renaissance Bookshop, which I'm sure many cable listeners are familiar with. It's an excellent uh, uh, metaphysical bookstore in northwest Portland, and that, that talk will be happening from 7 to 8.30 this uh, Friday, November 8th. And do you
0: want to share any final thoughts for any listeners out there today who might
1: be struggling with mood? The most important thing to know about depression is that it's treatable. You know, when I was really depressed and uh, thought there was no hope, I almost wish I had cancer because there's a stigma about mental illness. And there's more shame now in, in saying you have a mental illness than there is in having cancer, which cancer used to be a shameful thing 50 years ago. But I've since revised my uh, opinion since I've had a number of close friends die of cancer. Nobody has to die of depression unless you choose through a suicide. The fact is that depression is treatable, and even the intractable depressions that I went through, over time, either by the right combination of uh, therapeutics, as I describe in the book, or just time itself, things do get better. I have seen so many people in my groups over the past 14 years recover, so recovery is possible. Do not give up hope, and, uh, you know, set the intention to heal and reach out for support, and the hope and the help will come. As they say in AA, don't give up five minutes before the miracle. So hang in there and do what you need to do and and you will feel better sooner or later.
0: Thanks for being on Health Watch today, Douglas. Thank you very much. So we're talking today with Douglas Block, the author of Healing from Depression, a Body, Mind, and Spirit Recovery Program. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.